1: A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Katie Hargreaves is a phenomenal wildlife artist in England. She's painted roe deer, red stags, people shooting at pheasants, just some really incredible work. But she is a vegan. What's fascinating is that the perception we as hunters get about who we are is the same for her as a vegan. She understands the need for hunting and a couple of weeks ago actually hunted herself. To her, the idea of hunting for conservation, the idea of hunting to maintain the health of the wildlife population, actually fits With her vegan ethos. That's why she was completely okay. With pulling the trigger herself. You see I think you'll find that vegans and hunters. Have very similar values. When it comes to what we want for wildlife. It just comes down to whether we can dialogue. And talk through our differences. To find the common ground. Yeah. And we just dive right into the conversation. Um so England, right?
2: England, indeed.
1: Where in England?
2: Um I'm I'm in Norfolk, which is east of England. Um it's like not too far from London, about three hours north of London. Um which is very close in, in America, I'm sure.
1: It's crazy. You know, people talk about distances in terms of driving and whatnot. And obviously I'm from South Africa. So just like English people, to us, a three-hour drive is like monstrous, yeah. right? It's yeah. like you don't do a three-hour drive just for the day. You do it for the weekend.
2: Once a right? year.
1: <laughs> I do three-hour drives for a 30-minute meeting, One hour meeting, and I yeah. drive and I turn around.
2: Crazy. Yeah.
1: It's pretty crazy. Why don't we go ahead and introduce yourself? Because I typically do a terrible job of introducing <laughs> people uh, because we like to dive right in to uh, our conversations.
2: Um, well, my name's Katie Hargreaves. I'm a wildlife artist from England. And, and a
1: damn good one as well. Oh my yeah. gosh, your stuff is so good.
2: That's very kind of you, thank you. Um, yeah, I've been I've been working as an artist for four and a half years. And it all started. um, I had my first exhibition was actually in a gun shop in London, Beretta Gun Shop. Um, They were having a rifle launch, and a friend of of a friend got me involved, and I was exhibiting a couple of pieces. And then they bought them, like the actual shop bought them. So I was kind of like very early days artist, and I was suddenly going, oh, okay think these are good enough to sell <laughs> so then um yeah since then I've been kind of doing game fairs and different things um yeah but now I'm, I'm back into it because I had three years studying acting uh okay in of it so it was kind of a side business uh-huh. uh, and I've graduated so now I'm full-on artisting
1: <laughs> full-time artist right
2: yeah yeah
1: You will be proud of me. So you see this piece right here off my shoulder? Nice, yeah. That is a Sarah Trumbull piece. Very nice. My first piece of artwork. I'm officially adulting. (laughs) And uh, I bought it from her. So we'll have to decide, you know, we'll have to buy a piece from you one day. I really (laughs) like that shooting piece that you had. It was almost like Christmassy with the Ah. rifle and whatnot, right? Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, I've got a couple of so I, I work mainly in charcoal, um, black and white stuff, but I have got a couple of shooting pieces in particular, which are uh, colorful paint coming out of a gun, basically. <laughs> it's a bit of fun, it's a bit different, quirky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: So uh, it's interesting that you are a wildlife artist. You have painted stags and roe deer <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh People shooting at things, at pheasants and quail and whatnot. but you are a vegan.
2: I am. I am a vegan. Um, I think. I think there's a, there's a little problem with the word vegan that is like, it's a bit, uh, cornering. Uh, <laughs>
1: it's like everyone, the word hunter.
2: The word hunter. It's the same thing. Like everyone thinks they know what it is and. I suppose I'm I'm not exactly a vegan, but most of my ethics fall into the category, so it's easier for people to understand like how I live my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I am fully supportive of conservational hunting, um, and so that does make me a bit different as a vegan. <laughs> most- so let's let's
1: just dis- let's discuss that a little bit because let me I want to know more about those ethics behind <laughs> who you are as a vegan and. You're probably going to be ostracized in the vegan community, um, receive the death threats that we typically get as hunters. Uh.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so so I went vegan actually about five years ago,
1: okay.
2: and at the time I was um, my boyfriend was a deer manager, and he was like very supportive of my sudden decision because I felt like I'd been enlightened into what was happening in the meat industry and the egg industry and things. And I was suddenly like, you know, 15 minute video suddenly went vegan from being a big meat eater, um, (laughs) which was quite a big shift in my life. And so he was very concerned, like, obviously he was going, well, you still support conservation, right? And I was like, well, I don't know, I need to learn more about it. And I think because I was in such a fortunate position to be in both worlds at once, it was like I had to really educate myself in both. And then I saw that there were many similarities and we both want you know, the wildlife around us to thrive and be um, healthy and diverse and um, successful. And so then I kind of developed my own niche kind of ethic code. (laughs) Um, But I think think the problem is most vegans don't have that access into the world of conservation. And so they just see it as part of the meat industry Mm. um, as, you know, people going out and killing things for fun, which is so not the case very often. And I think for for both of our worlds, like your world, um, the loudest voices, the ones that are most seen by non-hunters are those that you would rather not be seen because they're promoting...
1: um, 100%.
2: Not so ethical hunting and um, very um, disrespectful ways of hunting. And also for vegans, like the extremist militant vegans are the ones with the loudest voices and so i think in the media and how we see those different groups we see the the most extreme examples where you know you and i talking we're just like trying to communicate properly and it's yeah it's really exciting
1: you are <laughs> absolutely nailing it on the head right that's almost a, a symptom of society today is that you've got these ultra left and ultra right mm-hmm. and there's no common ground anymore, there's no, there's no middle middle ground in which we can both find commonalities in what we yeah. do. And unfortunately the bad apples in our societies for both of our lifestyles mm-hmm. give us a moniker of who we're supposed to be. Yeah. And unfortunately we have a bunch of rednecks and you have a bunch of militants and they both operate in the same sort of headspace And they don't really care about anybody else. They don't want to to understand. They don't want to see the other side. And they're like, we're going to do what we do because this is what we believe in and nobody's going to tell us any differently. Yeah.
2: And I think for vegans as well, like the majority of vegans are very open-minded and very um, keen to learn about different sides of things. Like that's why most of us go vegan in the first place is that we want to have a, we have a well-balanced judgment on what, we believe to be right so i think if the education and the understanding is there i think a lot of vegans would support conservation
1: so what would be the ethic because i'm not a vegan can you walk through like what is that ethic of a vegan like this is why someone becomes a vegan
2: well i i think there's many reasons but the most common and my reason is um to minimize the amount of suffering and uh, like use of animals for human pleasure so meat the taste is the pleasure like you don't necessarily need meat in your diet i don't know if you agree or not <laughs> um but it's it's an unnecessary um kind of consumption of something that causes pain and suffering so i i would i would suggest that most vegans go vegan for animal rights reasons um where which is where the animal rights uh conversation goes with with hunting because to protect animal rights we have to intervene because sadly we're we're part of the problem in the first place like there's overpopulations of species because we have been playing God in the past and things. So mm-hmm. I think that we have to take the responsibility that we are mm-hmm. part of the ecosystem. And we need to act. We, even inaction is causing an effect. So we have to do something. And I think most vegans don't really consider that. Um, because it's
1: such a massive view, right? That's such a like, to us, you know, well, I wouldn't, I'm not going to categorize us as me, OK? and you've said you i'm going to say me when you look at this planet when you look at all ecosystems in this planet there mm-hmm. is not a single ecosystem that hasn't been touched by the hands of humans yeah. and because of that fact we have a responsibility and i think that would be a vegan stewardship of looking after the planet looking after the ecosystem looking after the animals mm-hmm. and as such I think the the rub, and this is where I absolutely love your point of view, is that there is a management tool for making sure that animal populations remain healthy, remain as disease free as possible, remain as healthy as possible, and that management tool is hunting done in a more in a, in the most responsible way possible actually marries with the idea that you just described of animal rights to maintain the population as healthy, right? It doesn't look at that individual because that's also the, the, the problem. And sometimes, and when we look at it, I keep saying we, when I look at it, the population, we look at things in a population level. We don't look at it as an individual animal. And that is very much a, a problem when talking to anti-hunters because they value that life of that individual. Yeah. But when you think about the, the health of a thousand, then that's where you the, the whole idea of conservation hunting comes in.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I, I always say it, it's, it's humans, we're the problem. <laughs> we, we became the problem Amen. a long time ago. <laughs> Um, But, you know, like in the Victorian era, we're just like, oh, why don't we just put all of these species from Britain and America and Australia? So it feels more like home. And and it's just like the consequences are now being dealt with. um, And they need to be dealt with. But yeah, it is that problem of the individual animal that has to suffer for the many to survive. yeah, and I think, I think that's that is a common view for some vegans that they think, you know, if um, if we could all just like leave the animals alone, nature will take its course. But actually, if that happens, like the populations of deer or whatever species it is are going to suffer dramatically because. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Because of our. Oh, inter- well,
1: Mother Nature. Nice. She's a bitch, you know, she's cruel <laughs> and she's violent and she's yeah.
2: she's not ethical.
1: <laughs> Hell no, she's not ethical.
2: <laughs> so I mean, like hunting with a rifle, it's a very um humane way of killing something. Um, rather than letting something get disease ridden and let its teeth fall out and then it can't eat and it starves and has a slow death. It's just like, you know, it's um so somebody
1: of- hearing you say that is going to be like, "This is crazy," but <laughs> the context here that nobody knows that we haven't revealed yet is that you, in the last month, right,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, went out and pulled the trigger yourself.
2: Yeah. So um, it, at the beginning of December, I was invited onto the Fieldsports channel, which was. Amazing. Um, to go and stalk a Chinese water deer with my friend, Paul Childley, And um, yeah, uh, we, we stalked, he, he has a management program that he runs. Um, and he's very much, you know, trying to support the species. His kind of land that he manages is one of the most um, abundant places for Chinese water deer in the UK. Um, And he does an amazing, he's done an amazing job over the last few years of um, growing the population, making them really healthy. Um, And so he has a culling program and I went out with him to um, be a part of it because I think that um, my ethics and my morals are all well and good. But if I'm not willing to practice what I preach, I don't (laughs) think it has much value um and i believe it so strongly that i'm very happy to be part of it as long as i can do it ethically (laughs) like if i if i didn't think i could have made a clean kill i wouldn't have yeah
1: yeah of course and i think you'll find that a lot of hunters are like that that Mm. we wait for that exact moment where we know that we can make that clean ethical as as humane as possible of a shot to essentially lessen as much as we possibly can the suffering on that animal. And I think that if you spoke with any hunter and the reason I can say this to you is because you experienced it is that once once you've pulled that trigger, something changes that it's just like, Oh, what the hell did I just do? Mm. Right. There's this, and I call it this chasm. It's a chasm between life and death. Mm -hmm. When you pull that trigger, And you are a part of that cycle. All of a sudden, you're not an observer anymore. You are a participant in it. And inherently there is a, there's a sadness to what you've just done. And when you walk up to that animal, there's, and this is where, this is where social media kills us in that all you see when it comes to hunters and hunting is someone smiling with a dead animal. Versus that walk up, when you walk up to that animal first time, very often there's, there's a moment, whether it's fleeting or whether it's know uh, more substantial, that you have sadness and you feel bad for the animal. And yeah. it's just our moral fiber, right? There, this internal human moral fiber yeah. that someone would question and say, well, because of that moral fiber,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you shouldn't have pulled the trigger.
2: Yeah. But I I think there's, you know, if you don't have that feeling of like, connectedness to the life that you've just taken, then I think you shouldn't be hunting anymore. Because I think that connection that um, kind of humility that comes with, with it is so important for the respect of the animal for the respect for what's just happened. Um, so I, the, this Chinese water deer that I killed, I didn't, it wasn't my first, um, deer that I killed. I shot a roebuck about three years ago and it was a very different situation. Obviously I was being filmed this month and, uh, I also had been, become more used to, um, being around people that hunted and being in the community. So I wasn't so shocked by it all but um i actually have it here
1: you shocked by the the rodeo kill oh nice that is your rodeo yeah yeah
2: and um when i shot this it was like really emotional i was bawling like it was just this crazy emotional whirlwind because it's it's such a it's such a humbling experience i think because Mm -hmm you realize how much kind of power you had over nature, but Mm -hmm. you're like you said, you're part of it. You're now in the cycle. And I think think people that support or people that eat meat in general, if you're not willing to actually do it yourself, like kill the animal yourself, I've always thought that's a bit strange that people will like pay someone else to do it because they don't want (laughs) to get (laughs) dirty.
1: Well, isn't again a symptom of society, right? That we are so disconnected from this side of, you know, people call it getting your hands dirty,
0: yeah.
1: that, you know, you don't, you know, some people don't wash their clothes anymore. And it's, it's just society moving away from this, it's society moving away from Gaia, right? It's society moving away from mother nature and disconnecting yourselves into a city, never going outside Never experiencing a little bit of hardship.
2: Yeah, going to the supermarket, seeing loads of birds that don't look like birds anymore and cellophane, and it's yeah. I think the whole, the whole of society and as a consumerist society is trying to move us away from Mother Nature, like because for whatever reason we don't want to know about it.
1: (laughs) So let me ask you this. And I think you said it in your interview with field sports. And and please tell me, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I was very intrigued with the idea that the fact that you went hunting, conservation hunting, you went out for a specific purpose, Mm -hmm. which was to manage the population. What what happens now with the meat of that animal?
2: Yeah, well, I do think that Uh, Yeah, I know know what you mean with the um, field sports interview. So I said about, um, I agree with conservational hunting for the population management. I think that if you get enjoyment from that experience, then that's okay, That's fine. And if you get meat from that experience as well, then great. Um, But I don't think that it should be the other way around. It shouldn't be. You know killing something for fun, and that's the only reason, or killing something for meat, and that's the only reason, which is the whole vegan ethos. Um, so yeah, I think that enjoyment and food are a byproduct of what is necessary.
1: That's a population. it's it's such a phenomenal ethos, though, because it's almost like, shit, dare I say that the solution, um in which if we, and here's the, here's the crux. I can change my purpose and Mm -hmm. I can talk about my purpose and my purpose being population management, population control, sustainable, uh, sustainable wildlife populations in the future. Mm -hmm. And the indirect benefit thereof is consumption of food.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's a rhetoric, right? Yeah.
2: Um,
1: it's a phenomenal rhetoric and as soon as i heard you say it i was like oh man
2: (laughs) well actually i think i came up with that because i was
1: oh and i'll credit you every time i say it (laughs) thank
2: you (laughs) um i think i i've been since i went vegan i've been constantly going what do I believe in? Because I support hunting because I know a lot of people in that world and I know that they're doing the right thing. Um, but I was also constantly being asked by people, so you're a vegan, but how does that work with like your art and stuff? And so in the last six months I've really gone, right, I need to figure out what I believe in. And so I can talk to people like, you know, uh, well about it. And I looked up, ethics of hunting or something and I saw that there were three types of hunting and there's um sustenance hunting so for meat um I can't remember what it's called
1: trophy hunting
2: trophy hunting yeah or just like enjoyment hunting
1: gotcha gotcha
2: and then one for conservation and I was like aha okay I believe in conservation but I don't believe in the other two although there are blurred lines there um, I don't believe in the other two being the only reason. Mm-hmm. So if all three are involved, fine. But if that conservation isn't there, I don't think that it's necessary or right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how that one came out.
1: <laughs> no, um, but I think it's a, as you said, it's a, it's a phenomenal reason, and it, and and it, that reason is always there. And I call it the consequence, right? It's the consequence of hunting. But somebody going to Africa from the UK, from the US, is not going to Africa for conservation hunting.
2: Mm. Are you talking about trophy hunting? Correct. Yeah. But... But there is conservation involved for the population of the town that it supports or the welfare of the animals that will then you know be properly looked after. I think also we're talking about labels earlier I think trophy hunting is one of those labels that is not, it cannot be generalized because a trophy hunt of a lion in Africa is totally different to a red stag in Scotland. A lion in Africa it might be you know extremely beneficial for the community that it's supporting um and for the yeah supporting the the national park fences and all of that um so i think that it can't be viewed as just someone wanting to kill something for fun because as much as it may be for that person like the reason that it's allowed to be Done in the first place is for a bigger reason, which is usually supporting the environment and supporting communities.
1: What do yeah, you the think? Motivation, mm-hmm. The motivation of that individual
2: mm-hmm.
1: to go hunt that lion. Yeah. I can't control, you can't control. They yeah. may be doing it because they love to kill. Let's yeah. be honest.
2: Or they have so much money that it to do in it.
1: <laughs> of course.
0: Yeah. But yeah. then
1: beyond that, Beyond the trigger pull, like what was the consequence? What are the benefits of that activity that just happened? Reduction in human wildlife conflict, uh, money being poured into the communities for jobs, for medical, for schools, as you said, there's money being poured into the government coffers because of that trophy, um, uh, the bait ticket, the, the ticket for the actual license for that lion. Uh, that goes into park ranger salaries. That goes into fencing. That goes into community programs. But it's very difficult for someone to see all that, which is what the whole point of blood origins, right? It's the whole, that's what we want to focus on. Versus the guy standing over the dead lion, yeah, and getting hauled into the British tabloids. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. It's um. Yeah, there's, it's, it's one of those things where people just take it at face value and don't really think about the meaning behind it. And, and I think that, um, I really respect like your ethos and your mission with your, with Blood orig- Origins. And I think it's totally necessary that we educate and explore these ideas with each other, especially non hunters. Um, Because it's very difficult to see from the outside if you're not in any way attached to the hunting community. You do just see this kind of elitist um, group of people that go and kill stuff for fun. And that's the extent of most people's understanding of hunting. But yeah, the further you dig, the more open-minded you can become because you think, oh, okay, I understand why it's beneficial for the environment. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a difficult one to bridge that gap between people that do it and understand it and people that see it from the outside and have no
1: idea. Well, I think you're saying the same thing about vegans and you being able to have this conversation with me and enlighten people to that side of veganism is, is exactly what we need is. And that's the conversations we want to have through this podcast and through what we do and i appreciate the kind words um because that's exactly it is if we can we can talk and we can and other people can see us talk and they Mm -hmm. can see the rational rhetoric that we can have between two individuals that sit on two opposite sides of the fence in terms of their lifestyles um and find the common ground that one we you know one you may not be completely for and i may not be completely for either but we can say, okay, I get it. Yeah, um, is is certainly a positive move in, in yeah. society as well as for my mission, which is changing that perception yeah. around who we are. And you're yeah. changing the perception around who you got, who you are.
2: <laughs> us guys, <laughs> us guys eating cabbage. Us cat- guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I I wish that well. It needs to happen, but hunters need to see a more open-minded vegan perspective and vegans also need to see a a hunter's perspective so yeah it's about being open-minded having like logical conversations that are not um emotional so Mm -hmm. much and and i think that a lot of vegans do get really angry and get really frustrated because it is a, there are terrible things that are happening <laughs> to animals for our benefit. But if we can take out that kind of passion and talk about, you know, the actual fundamental reasons for both parties, I think that we'll find a lot of common ground.
1: So, from a vegan's point of view, given that you've been engaged in our community through the, the person you're with and the field sports channel piece, what would you say are some things that hunting and hunters need to change in terms of our perception outward?
2: Um, as in what you perceive the rest of the world to be? Um
1: what, no, I would we... say like what, what you like you say, okay, I would what's the problem? Like, hey hunters, you have a PR problem. <laughs> this is what I would change if I, I... was you
2: yeah I think more explanation of the reasons for killing an animal um you know promoting the fact that you're helping the conservation effort will just you know give a lot more gravity towards the real ethics of it um, I guess showing all sides of all sides of the hunt, not just the prize possession at the end um I think that more open conversation from both sides would be great. (laughs) Um, So, you know, with, with militant vegans, you can see that anger and, and radical uh, action doesn't help anyone to actually join their side. It just repels people. So, you know, being more kind and having more energy for each other, I think, both sides need to do. Um, Gosh, could
1: you imagine if we were all just a little bit more kind today?
0: <laughs> exactly. No, it'd be,
1: it'd be exactly right, man. It's just like, take it, you know, that's the worst thing about social media is that you a comment is said and you have no idea the context of that comment Yeah. and the natural reaction today in today's society is to take the worst case scenario of that comment. Oh yeah More often than not it's this you know crazy yelling match that you think has just happened, and you want to get into a crazy yelling match back
2: yeah i um I read some of the comments on the field sports channel video on YouTube. Well, why did
1: you do that
2: i don't know. I was <laughs> had a fleeting um <laughs> mad, streak. and I, I read one it was like just immediately after, and she was like uh this guy said um." with great respect the lady's not a vegan or something like that and i was like oh you know what he kind of has a point like i'm not technically a vegan but then this this whole fight happened i didn't get involved but then there's like several people sticking up for me saying this might be the first time she's killed a deer and blah blah blah. and um i just was reading it going oh my god like you guys are being so mean to each other Mm -hmm. If, if i was involved i'd just be like yeah you know what Vegan probably isn't the best label, but it's the most kind of useful for other people to understand. So I think, yeah, it's just, it's so frustrating when people just have no kindness for each other, especially when, if they were face to face, they wouldn't say those kind of things.
1: 100%, 100%, 100%. You know, it's interesting you say that. That's one of the things that we strive to do is that when we get a comment on anything that we push out it's like mfu and F that kind of deal is that we won't resp- we'll respond in a rhetoric that is hey
0: yeah we
1: understand why you're so angry at me like yeah. why do you expect you know why do you think and and more often than not when it comes to the end we get the oh i never understood oh yeah. thank you for explaining i've had one individual tell me hey can i instant message you because this is the best debate that I've ever had, and he wanted me to help him with his PhD in Africa <laughs> or something like that. And he was a he was an anti hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what's I think beyond the the actual string of comments that you're engaging in, what's happening is that you never know who's watching you.
2: Mm.
1: You never know who's watching those comments and seeing how you're interacting with someone and watching it and going, oh, okay. That's mm-hmm. how we should be talking or that's how I'm going to talk the next time. Yeah. Um, it's that biggest fear of influence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, what you're doing is that you've got this biggest fear of influence now through that field sports interview that again, people like me hunters have this perception, just like vegans have perceptions of hunters. We have a perception of what a vegan is. Yeah. And it is that very much like radical anti Uh, anti-meat throw paint on fur coats Mm. type movement and you don't think about the you know that's probably a very minority of vegans
2: yeah yeah um and i've had quite a lot of people reach out to me from the hunting worlds and they just say i totally respect everything you said and i agree and I never thought I'd see a vegan talking about hunting in this way. But it is about breaking those stereotypes. And um, and I have had a couple of people approach me who are like, I'm the same. And people always think I'm completely crazy. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's more people that are like me. So I think that I'm not the only I know I'm not the only one who thinks like this, but. Um, yeah, I think I think it's just about conversations that are open on both sides and not reactive. They're kind of communitive, um, and they will inevitably find moral common ground. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, you are awesome, and uh, I appreciate you being patient without delay this morning.
0: Well, that's but, no problem. Uh,
1: you are. You're exactly the kind of person that, one, I wanted to talk to. And I, and and this is the the only time that I can say we, (laughs) that we as a hunting community are very grateful for people like you Hmm. that can see what we do and what we're trying to do. And can, and, and, and what you're not, you're not saying everything is okay. Everything's okay. Everything is hunky dory. You guys are doing a great job. Yeah. But there's elements of what you guys do that I can get on board with. So I just want to say thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me on the show.
1: We'll have to get some art from you uh, <laughs> this year sometime 2021.
2: Yes, yes. Um, I just released a new limited edition print collection as well. If
1: you're
2: interested in a print. Got yeah, so where
1: can people find you and where can they find your prints and stuff?
2: Yeah, so um, my website is katiehargreevesart.com and I've got everything on there and also on my Instagram. I'm quite active on Instagram, uh, which is just katiehargreevesart. So yeah, check, check out my stuff.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Katie.
2: Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening.